Hi, welcome to She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields, the podcast for women leaders on a mission to change the world and build empires that have legacy, success, influence, and intergenerational wealth. We'll talk about how stigmas, stereotypes, grief, and other people's opinions can keep women's voices silenced and the impact these have on successful women and their emotions, their relationships, and their money. If you have felt silenced and need guidance, awakening, and amplifying your voice, visit KeishaShields.com to check out my best-selling Find Your Voice course. Please take a quick second to hit the subscribe button, and let's get into this week's episode. To watch the video episode with today's co-host, visit KeishaShields.com slash podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields. And this is another co-host episode. And I have Laura, by the way, with us. Laura, say hello to everyone. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. We were just laughing because I'm like, make sure we're looking cute because those of you who are listening to the audio, don't forget, you can hop over to Laura's episode webpage and you'll be able to see the link to our video. So you can see us live, but we're live now, we're going to be live then, like interacting with each other. So we want to make sure we were cute. Hey. Okay. (laughs) So Laura, welcome to the show. So Laura, I always start by having our co-host guest tell us answering this question. So who is Laura, by the way? Oh my goodness. Laura, by the way, is a very interesting person. Just kidding. No, Laura, by the way, first of all, by the way, is my actual last name, which is super fun. Um, It's pronounced just the way it is spelled. It's a prepositional phrase. I have so much fun with it. It's from England. Uh, going back multiple generations. That's as far as I know about it. So yeah, by the way, that's, that's really fun. And I born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. I live here in Houston with my family. I'm married. We have two boys and one girl on the way. So I didn't know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) In December. Okay. So let me tell you, I'm going to interject right quick. This okay. is the only thing about doing these into these Zoom conversations because I see her from the top up. Right, okay. you don't see my belly. <laughs> no idea. So that's really awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you have like what around what date range are you doing? Like middle, beginning? Middle. So like December 10th is okay. what we're thinking. Yeah. Got you. Okay. I'm a December baby. So this baby's going to be awesome. <gasps> that's exciting another december baby <laughs> that is awesome. congratulations on that thank Laura. you okay so go ahead i'll be quiet now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm based in houston and i am a life coach i coach people specifically who are recovering from narcissist abuse so i specialize in difficult relationships, toxic relationships, 
you know, like in-laws who are overbearing and exes who make your life miserable. And that that's that's my bread and butter. That's that's what I do. So this is gonna be good, y'all. <laughs> Laura and I connected. I'm like, yes, please. When can you come on? Like, because I talked about how I have an episode. Actually, it was my first co-host episode with Nikki Innocent. I don't remember which episode number, but look at the one with Nikki. And we talked about our experiences with narcissist relationships, but they were in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. And I talked about how I had been under a very narcissistic boss and how it really, like, I became a shell of who I was before I knew. Yes. And it's crazy. You don't realize it. You don't see it that way. And I had Mm -hmm. always known, like, being, you know, in the field, psychology field, of like narcissism and like personal relationships. I hadn't known about, but of course they're humans, right? About the impact of working under a narcissist, you know, and the challenges of that. So I was like, yes, please come on because I know that our listeners, many people are going to need this conversation. So thanks for bringing that to the forefront. Laura, how did you get started working specifically specializing with narcissistic behavior? So I have a lot of experience with narcissists in my life. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I I've spent, you know, a lot like my childhood and into my early adulthood in patterns of narcissist relationships that I wasn't aware of. And as I've done the work to heal and realize what was really going on and and changed, you know, my inner world, my outer world started to change. And I always wanted to be a therapist. I remember growing up thinking that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I got to the point where I was going to go to graduate school, but it just wasn't working out. I, 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 um, I was pregnant with my first child and it just didn't seem quite right. And then I found uh, coaching and it just was everything I needed. Um, it accelerated my growth, accelerated my healing. And I was a completely changed person. And I realized, oh, wait, this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a therapist. I wanted to be a coach. They're slightly different, <laughs> but it like just, just the tools in the coaching world is exactly what I needed. And when I started as a life coach, I didn't have this particular niche. Like I was just general because coaching is really, can be really general if you want it to be. And it turned out that all of my clients that would come to me had this specific problem. And I was just like, okay, universe, I I get it. Leaning in, let's do this. (laughs) Well, it's just been this amazing thing because of all the experience I've had and the work that I've done. And now that I've, you know, had multiple clients and, and, and been doing the work now for over a year, I've been able to figure out a bunch of important insights that aren't out there in the world yet. There's a lot of stuff on narcissism out there, but I'm finding my own path with how to help people heal. And it's just been the most amazing thing. It goes really, really deep and I'm finding new things all the time. And it's just, it's a blast. I love it so much. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you, have you had experiences in your like pre-coaching life living under narcissism like in your own personal experience, was that a, was that a tie-in for you once you realized you were attracting people like that? Or is it just because you knew so many people who were dealing with that, that it really kind of became a, a main thing for you? 
Well, when I, when I was growing up, so growing up in the South, there is a lot of narcissist culture. There just is. And we don't call it that. We don't realize that. And I don't mean to say that in, to, to be disparaging or critical of Southern culture, but um, there's, there is a lot of that. And so when I grew up, I just thought that's how everybody is, you know, that's how I should be and how everybody should be. And I didn't think twice about it because I didn't think there was any other way. And then I went to college out in Utah, right? So Utah is very different, (laughs) very, very different culture. And I realized not everyone is like me. Not everyone is like my family or my friends or the people, you know, I was dating, right? It's a very completely different culture. And uh, I was, of course, getting my degree in psychology. And then I learned about specific dynamic, like relationship dynamics. And I was like, wait a second, that's my life. Oh, that's, that's also my life. Wait, that's also me. Wait, what the heck is going on? And it was just like layers of realization, just like mind blown. And then I started to see the pattern that had been repeating itself over and over and over in so many relationships in my life. And it was just, it was just mind blowing. I was just like, what is happening? And the best part is that I started to realize one thing that was really confusing for me growing up was this idea that people could attract these toxic relationships in their lives. I I just thought that you didn't have any control over it. I thought that, well, you're just going to have a toxic person in your life and there's nothing you can do about it because it's not your fault and you can't control it. So what are you going to do? And then as I've gotten older and I've done the work to heal, I realized, oh, wait a second, the common denominator in all of this toxicity is me, (laughs) right? Like, which isn't to say that it was my fault because I certainly didn't want it, but it's, it's fascinating that you become a person who simply draws this type of person to you. You you become a person who tolerates this type of behavior, tolerates this type of person. And when I really, when that really clicked in my mind that like it was me and my internal brain mechanisms that were creating the toxicity in my life, allowing for the toxicity in my life, everything changed. And it was just like, oh, wait, I do have control, but it's also not my fault. Those are two very different things. When you have narcissist people in your life, there's a lot of blame happening. And it's very easy to say, it's all my fault. I'm a horrible person. And, And to fill your body with all of these negative blame emotions. When in reality, it's actually empowering. You're able to say, oh, I made these decisions. Now we understand why this is my reality. I can make new decisions because I'm a powerful person. So I'm going to go do that. And it's just, it's a game changer. Yeah. (laughs) In your household dynamic, was the narcissism like starting to happen there or was it more like outside of the home and other relationships in your life? Uh, It was definitely in the home. I come from a long line of narcissists. <laughs> and I say that with so much love, right? So my mom was raised by an alcoholic. My dad was raised by a woman who was raised by an alcoholic. So it goes back as far as the generations can go. And of course, the, the cultural 
landscape of the South. You know, all of my family is from the South, like as far as the generations can go back. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's like cut and dry narcissism all across the board. There's definitely a lot of comorbidity going on, a lot of different, you know, diagnoses that can be applied. But absolutely, the core thing that I was raised with was I'm in charge of other people's emotion in order for me to feel safe. And I don't think anyone intended to raise me that way. I think my parents did a lot of work to undo how they were raised because their parents had even less tools and even less ability you know, to, to, to raise them in the way that they perhaps should have been raised. I don't know that should is, is a different thing, but my parents gave me a lot of gifts, but they also, they also raised me with some narcissist tendencies as well, which was able to, I think it really gave me a lot of strength because number one, I can recognize very powerfully what narcissism is, but I also was given tools to kind of rise above and receive the insights and learn the things I needed to learn so that I can be who I am today. So there's a lot of really wonderful things that come with being raised by narcissists. So one of the main messages I have that I do my work in is that there is healing in your inner world, but there's also healing in your outer world in the sense that you can forgive and you can love the narcissist in your life for exactly who they are without trying to change them and really accept the narcissist for who they are without trying to change them. Now, this doesn't mean that we tolerate the abuse. It doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries, right? Boundaries are so, so, so important. I, I think even people who need to go no contact with certain family members or people in their lives who are narcissists. I think that's really, really important, but you can also love and respect that person at the same time. So boundaries really do equal love and you can get to a place when you've processed all of your pain and all of your struggle, you can get to a place where you really can fully forgive that person. So if that person is your parent or if that person is an ex, you know, or a friend, a childhood friend, you know, if you process and do all of the work, you can get to the place where you actually feel love for the narcissist in your life and you feel true forgiveness and it, it heals you. I mean, this isn't about having pity on the narcissist. This isn't about like, you know, making them feel better. It's about you being done with the hatred and bitterness and hurt in your heart, which actually does weigh you down and prevents you from getting the things that you want in life. And so when I work with people with narcissist parents, it's really tricky because they ask me, well, well, how do you know? Like, what do you do? I was like, well, I love my parents. I mean, I don't like to use narcissist to describe them because it is a big, ugly word. And it, a lot of people associate narcissist with monster. And that, that's not who my parents are. They're amazing people who have done so much work. And we went through some hard things throughout my childhood. But at the same time, everything they gave me was a gift. Even if it was bad, even if it was good, it was all a gift. And I love and I honor and I respect them for the gifts that they gave me because they made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can see the narcissist in your life. They are contributing to your overall growth if you want that to be the case, right? That's a choice that you have in this. Absolutely. And one of the things that I will say to that also, and I say this, I've had, I've had a couple of episodes where I've had to mention this too, is we're talking about narcissistic behavior and there are narcissistic abusers out there Yes, are just going to do it point blank period. But right. there are also people, human beings who we love and yes. respect who are 
they're bogged down, they're burdened right. with narcissistic behavior. And a lot of times they don't Amen. like it and it doesn't, they're not monsters. I want right. everybody to understand that when we're having these real and raw conversations, it is in no way to paint people that we're referring to in any negative light at all. Like the person that I spoke about, I love dearly. And yes. the reality is she is someone who is burdened and bogged down by this narcissistic behavior. And it has a negative implication more than a positive one, you know, but she right. is a very kind person, someone that we love. Mm -hmm. And so I want you all to always, always, always use your discernment when you are engaging and interacting with people who are under labels, right? Because Amen. When they love us so much, they're not trying to be harmful, but some patterns right. that they just simply have not been able to get out of themselves. And I think it's so important that we understand that, that we are coming from a place of love and respect and wanting to stop these cycles from happening. And that's exactly what all about is recognizing that. So I want you all to have grace and compassion and yes. as you're navigating these dynamics. Okay. Yes, that's all part of it. And if you're not in that place yet, that's okay. We, we deal with the hurt and the anger and the resentment first, and that will create room for the compassion and the love and the forgiveness that you want to have. Absolutely. Yes. And these could be conversation starters. Let's say, for example, yeah. you have someone who you love, who you're in that dynamic with, and let's say they're going to hear this episode, right? Maybe, or maybe you share it with them, right? That can right. cause up a lot of feelings. It can cause a lot of scary mm -hmm. feelings. And I talk about that a lot on my podcast and in my work, because I know what it was like to try to talk about a dynamic, but then be so concerned. I didn't want it to come across a certain way because that's not right. But these can be conversation starters. I want you all to think about that. Send this link out to someone who you may be in a dynamic with, right? To see if they capture or maybe notice or think or two about themselves in it, right? Always just lead with compassion, but most of all, compassion for yourself. And yes. remember that for the most part, these are human beings who are trying to navigate the life that they were given to, right? Like right. my husband always says, he read it in a book, and I wish I I can remember what it was that said, I'm a traumatized child raised by a traumatized child. Exactly. Right? And like exactly. that dynamic of people, our parents, especially for the good and most part are just trying to navigate from their own experience, their own lens exactly. along with it. And I want everybody to really keep that in mind. All right. So, okay. So that brings me to a question I want to ask you about your actual work. Tell us a little bit about what exactly is narcissism and how can a person identify maybe some ways of knowing whether or not they are in a dynamic with someone who tends to skew toward narcissism? Great question. Okay. So if you go to, you know, a Google page or, you know, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I don't know where number one, maybe we're on number four five or six or seven, you'll look up narcissism and you'll see a bunch of traits, right? You'll see someone who lacks empathy, someone who is very self-focused, someone who puts other people down, someone who uses other people to feel better about themselves, things like that. But what I believe real narcissism is, I mean, it obviously is all of those things too, but at the core, 
of narcissism is lack of unconditional self-love and lack of unconditional love for other people around them. So when you're raised by a narcissist or you're in a narcissist relationship, you are a person who believes that love is earned and that the people in front of you are either worthy or not of that love. You, you, you start to see people as an asset to get what it is that you want instead of seeing them as people for who they are. And so narcissism is also a deep, deep emptiness. It's, a, it's, it's, it's incredible pain. We, we look at narcissists and we think, oh, these people are really selfish. Like they love themselves way too much. And I want to submit that that is actually the opposite of what is happening. A narcissist is full of self-hate. It doesn't look like it, but that's what's really going on deep down. They don't know how to love themselves unconditionally. And so they use everyone around them, even substances to fill the emptiness inside of them that is constant, right? They're the type of people who just go off the rails in a second. You know, they're like, you, you say one thing and it's like the straw that broke the candle's back. They're just all over you and, and you, they have this huge emotional reaction and it's your fault, right? Because they don't know how to manage their own emotion. They're not aware of the depth of the emptiness and the pain that they're in, or if they are aware of it, they're constantly trying to cover it up. And narcissism is very much a survival mechanism. So typically if you are dealing with a narcissist person, they have probably been in an abusive situation too. And this is how they've survived it by covering up the deep pain that they're in with all of the mechanisms they use, which is using other people. And so how to know that you're with a narcissist. Uh, typically they will gaslight you. They will make you feel like it's all your fault. They will make you in charge of their emotions. So if they are feeling sad or rejected or angry or any sort of negative emotion, you will probably get blamed and it's up to you to change so that they can feel better. They don't know how to take responsibility for their own emotions and they, they, they want you to to do or say or be something different so that their emotion changes. Uh, let's see what else. Another thing, they can be very abusive. And I, th I think narcissism is on a spectrum, right? So there's like severe NPD. And then there's like, as it goes down, you know, you get less and less um, narcissist tendencies. And I think that um, when you're dealing with people with severe narcissism, these are the people who are going to be abusing substances, who are going to be, you know, physically abusive, sexually abusive. They're going to be just have huge emotional reactions that are really scary. Uh, they're going to gaslight you like crazy. They're going to blame you. They're going to do horrible things and then not take responsibility for those things. And I have a lot of clients who have narcissist exes who use, you know, their children as pawns in the game to get what it is that they want. I mean, they just, these poor people just don't, I mean, I don't know if they're deserving of a lot of pity, but they don't have the ability to put themselves in another person's shoes because the pain that they're in is so great that it's just not even possible for them. They're just, honestly, it's like a disability. That's how I see it. And so as you go down the spectrum with less and less tendencies, but they're still there, um, you're dealing with a person who is bitter and resentful, who uses you uh, just to, to, to better themselves. Maybe they want to look better in front of other people. They're very, very concerned about their, their image in front of other people. So they're trying to control other people's thoughts. Um, in fact, they're trying to control everything generally, but mostly trying to control other people's thoughts about them so that they don't have to deal with the embarrassment and the shame of being judged by other people. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> so, 
but yeah, that, that, that is, that is the gist of what it looks like to be around narcissists. <laughs> so I think about like looking at it from like the outside in, right? Because sometimes it's more challenging to see it when you're in it, right? For sure. You're seeing other circumstances with people and you're like, right? Oh, oh my yes. goodness. Like I think about there's someone I know who I will, I'm going to make this person anonymous because I don't want any problems. Um, <laughs> you know how like at some point I always say I'm mindful of when it's my story to tell and when it's not, but yes. there's someone in, in my life, there are kids who are, they're all adults now, but like they literally call her mommy dearest, right? Mm. I don't know. You remember that mommy dearest dynamic? Mm. You know, like, so for example, she is someone who has MPD, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's undiagnosed. It might be diagnosed, but there's a lot, a whole lot of things going in there, right? Mm-hmm. But like, she is the kind of, she was the person who, as a parent, when her kids were younger, like she didn't feel in loved enough. Mm-hmm. She would like tell her kids, like, for example, like that she's dying. Mm-hmm. Like she would like crawled out, like on the stairs, like saying, I'm yes. dying. I don't gonna do like and the kids would be terrified like oh my gosh like they would just love her so much and like you know did everything they they didn't I mean like that type of behavior Mm -hmm. like throughout their entire like childhood bless their hearts oh my goodness right yeah like and you know and from my youngest to not I mean from oldest to like the middle kids you know because eventually it wears out but they grew up like that Mm -hmm. and even this day they don't know when something is true like because now she really is dealing with severe issues right and they're like it's like the little girl that cried wolf right they're like well I don't actually know if there's something real happening or if I'm being manipulated Mm -hmm. it turns into a lot of manipulation you know which makes it really challenging but I was just thinking about that and like from the outside looking in I'm like can't you see it? Like she's one, you know, that kind of thing, but you don't see it. You don't. Like, like I thought about like in the workplace, like I didn't see it. Right. Like I was, and I didn't even recognize it. And I pride myself on like recognizing the dynamics around me. Yeah. But when same. You it, it is really challenging to see it for what it is. Yes. And you sometimes have the courage and the tools to know what to do about it when you're worried. Like for example, in the workplace, I was worried about my livelihood. I'm like, exactly. well, if I bring this forth or expose this, right. I might lose my job or whatever the case was, you know? And so you end up just staying in this relationship, yep. in this dynamic to the detriment of yourself because that narcissist is not going to change. Oh, absolutely not. Mm-mm. No, you're absolutely right. I think it's so hard to see what's going on because those survival mechanisms for you are kicking in. You are worried about survival and especially as children, children are worried about survival too. And they are very good at surviving. And so when they are threatened emotionally, that is just as powerful as when we're threatened physically, especially as children, because when you withdraw love from a child, that is the equivalent of death. Like when a, when a mother abandons child emotionally, that child does get its needs met and will probably, you know, die. Right. So those emotional and physical survival mechanisms are triggered. And so it's very hard to see things for what they are because you're just trying to get through. You're just trying to make it to the next day. So other people who are not worried about that are looking on the outside, looking in being like, 
oh my gosh, do you see what's going on? Hello. But if you're worried about your livelihood, if you're worried about feeling safe, right? Because narcissists rely on your inner world, not feeling safe. This is, this is where they get all of their power is that you feel a ton of guilt or you feel a ton of shame or you feel a ton of anxiety or you feel a ton of fear. Any of these emotions in your body that are really difficult to withstand, you will do anything to make those emotions go away. So you change yourself, you say what you have to say to make them stop behaving the way that they behave so that you can feel better. That's where all the power is. That's where that dynamic comes from. It's a two-way street with a narcissist, right? You, it feels like a, a villain and a victim, but honestly, it takes two to tango, <laughs> right? And so when in that when you're talking about your friend, the mom who manipulated and lied, and that's what they do. They they lie. Some some narcissists are pathological liars. Some just lie when it's convenient for them. Some exaggerate and, and tell half truths. And the whole goal of that is to incite deep emotional reactions in you. And with children, which is really, really tragic, right? With children, we, children are so innocent and don't have the tools and immediately believe everything that they're told. And so, you know, the mom, when she is manipulating them to have these big emotional reactions, she interprets those reactions as love. And then that makes her feel safe. And that makes her feel warm and calm and good about herself. But her children are having you know, they're freaking out. And now, and, and they've been through it so many times that they can't even trust their world anymore. They don't even know what the heck is going on. And that is also what it's like to be with a narcissist is to feel like you're the one going crazy because you don't know what's real and what isn't because <laughs> they're so good at manipulating the worlds around them because mm -hmm. to them, manipulation and lying and using others to feel better, that is like breathing for them. They are very good at it. Not because they're evil, but because their survival depends on their skills in these areas. And so when you go to toe-to-toe -to -toe with a narcissist, you can't go in. It's just not, you, like when you, when you are in the dynamic, if you try to engage with a narcissist, you've already lost because they are light years ahead of you in their skills. They're very intelligent, very clever people. And it's, you know, asking a narcissist not to lie is like asking them not to breathe. And I don't say that with bitterness and hatred in my heart. Mm -hmm. This is how they've managed to survive. You know what I mean? It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Like, like they have, they've mastered survival in their yes, way. They really have. You know, like I said, and it's, it's really hard, you know, when you see it and, you know, I just, cause I think about like, it's so unfortunate, like the damage that gets done along the way, yes. right? Mm -hmm. But I look at like those, they were kids and now they're like 40, 35, 30, right? And they're still navigating the dynamic because the person, the narcissism never left. It never left. Right? It changes like you. It yeah. It's lost and shifted the order that everyone has gotten. <laughs> it's like shifted into other things, you yeah. know? I remember having a conversation with this person one time and she was telling me, um, and it's someone who I love and it makes me so sad to see it. But again, I'm on the outside of the scenario, right? Right. right. Um, but I was having a conversation with her one time and uh, she was talking and she started like things were not going her way. She was not able to manipulate me in the conversation. Mm. So then she was like, well, I have to tell you why. And then I knew I could see the shift when things were not going mm -hmm. the way that she wanted to them to, I could see it, and I found I found myself bracing <laughs> because I knew that the manipulation tactic was about to go. But because I, the one at that point, had dealt with it myself mm -hmm. and gotten out of the dynamic, I was more on alert, nice. right? Good. From the 
outside looking in. And so I just kind of braced myself. And then she went to tell me that she had been recently diagnosed with cancer and she didn't want me to tell her kids, right? Don't tell them. I don't want them to worry and all of this. And I told her, I said, don't worry. I won't. Uh Right. (laughs) She was like, well, no, it's just because I just don't want them to worry. Because in her mind, I was going to go run to them and go, oh my God, your mom has cancer. And now you have to like do like literally expecting because any and I was like don't worry I won't yeah. and I never did and she was like so finally she was like um did Keisha ever tell you they were like tell me what and I never <laughs> ever did right Aww. and we found out that it was not true she had not had a cancer diagnosis and when I tell you the level of heartbreak mm. like at the blatant the blatancy of it all, yes. right? That this is a person who used to tell her kids that she was dying to get the love. Yeah. Now that they're in their 30s, you know, she's saying, I have cancer and that's why I'm doing and to find out that she doesn't, right? And it has been so tragic to see it because the level of mistrust Trust that has taken yes. right? feeling I've asked them and their feelings of abandonment. Yep. They felt emotionally abandoned, yep. uh, neglected. Uh, and things like that, right? And so yes. people sometimes will look at it and be like, oh, it's just somebody who thinks they're better than other people. It's not. Like, it goes it's way really, like, layers, I mean, yes. layers and layers and layers deep. So my question, I have a question for you, okay. too, but I'll ask this one. What advice might you give, I know this is kind of general, but, you know, whatever. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is not dealing with narcissism okay. directly, but they're on the outside looking in? What advice would you have for them in how to maybe approach the situation with the person that they love, that they see is on the inside of it? Like the, I hate to use the term victim, but the one who's being victimized by the narcissist, let's say that that's their spouse or their friend, what advice might you have for them considering they're on the outside and how to maybe bring it forth? Because a lot of times people just aren't aware of it. Right. Like what are the tips that you can give for that purpose? So if you love someone who is in the dynamic and can't see it for themselves, obviously you can have a conversation with them. And and what matters less is what you choose to do. And what, what matters more is how you're feeling and your intent as you go about doing it. So if you're trying to control the situation and save your friend, you probably won't be very successful just because in the narcissist dynamic there, while, while there is a, a, a victimization happening, the person is still opting in. Now, obviously they don't realize they're opting in. So it's not like it's their fault. It's not like it's, you know, you just leave them alone and never tell them the truth. Uh, I think if you have a really strong relationship with them, you can say, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. Uh, why do you allow him to treat you this way or, or her it doesn't have to be a man. Maybe like, this is just what I noticed that, that they said or did. And then you felt this way. What do you think about that? And maybe just like open it up for exploration as opposed to you're in this horrible dynamic. If you don't get out, blah, blah, blah. And like threatening them and things like that and manage your own emotion about it, because it's really hard to see our, our family and friends suffering and being in this situation. And so if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling sad and you're feeling grief, right, it's your job to manage the grief, not to 
fix a situation so that your grief goes away. Right. But obviously you can be truthful. You can, you can say, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. I'm here for you. If you ever need support, is this where you want to be? Do you want to stay out? I mean, I have to be very careful because as a coach, right? Like this is my job. I'm trained to see it (laughs) and I, I kind of see it everywhere. And so I have to be really careful because I can't just jump in and coach people out of it. They have to opt in, opt into the coaching. And, you know, I, I even have family members who are in very serious narcissist dynamics that are negatively affecting them. And I can't just jump in and tell them what to do. They have to come to me and ask for help. And even when they do ask for help, I give my advice and I, I, you know, tell them what I think is the truth. And then they still have to make that decision for themselves. And then, and that's really hard to watch, you know, as a friend who loves this person or as a family member who loves this person, you know, watching them suffer and not being able to control that or change that. Right. But that's your job to manage, not theirs. And so I would say definitely be honest, but don't expect to fix it. Don't go in there guns blazing. I'm going to rescue this person because Mm people, you're not going to have be very successful. <laughs> now, obviously if it's a child situation, it's a little different, mm-hmm. right? So if you're seeing children being victimized, definitely maybe take some different action there. Maybe talk to, you know, CPS or a lawyer or something like that because children aren't able to, you know, have consent in that situation, but with adults for sure, just be their friend, be supportive, be there for them and don't try to control or manipulate the situation. Yeah. And like, and I love that you mentioned, don't try to control because it's like, then you replace one dynamic with a whole other one, like in your quest, exactly. like come in and save it, you know, like you don't need to be the savior of the situation, but right. you love someone so much that you can actually shift the dynamic into one way of control and manipulation on your end, even if that's not your intention, right? right. You know, I try to be mindful of that. Like with the people I talked about, like, I don't, I don't bring it up unless it's brought up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't make it a big deal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like if they bring it up or a situation occurs, I like, okay, at that point I'll share some things, but I don't, it's not just on my mind. Like every chance I get throwing it up, like that's, I don't think that's an appropriate way of handling I anything. Frankly, you know? I agree. Especially like that. Okay. So I have another question, but I'm going to table that one for a particular reason and come back. To okay. It. So the question I have for you is, can you tell us about a time in Laura's life where you have either felt like you were silenced or you felt like you had to like get your kahunas and like speak up for yourself. Uh, okay. (laughs) Whole life there. Uh, okay. (laughs) I would say that this starting this business has been a huge indication of like de-silencing my voice. I think when you are in the narcissist dynamic, you are silenced a lot of the silencing is both like physical as in you're not allowed to say certain things or do certain things, right? Otherwise it causes them to freak out and you got to be in control of that. Right. So, and it's also uh, emotional silence, right? Because it's, it's like, I must suppress, you know, these emotions and these feelings that I have because it's unsafe and learn like really coming out and becoming a coach for narcissist recovery has been its own recovery process because I, I, I really didn't want to put myself out there as a person who have experienced narcissist abuse. I mean, that's a little bit vulnerable. It's a little bit like, you know, a little bit scary. And I wanted to silence myself because what happens is when you're raised to be silenced, you learn how to silence yourself. You're no longer being silenced Amen. anymore. Yes. 
Exactly. Like being abused by narcissists actually changes your brain and you become the source of the abuse for yourself. This is why there's so much self-sabotage. This is why women who get out of narcissist relationships jump right back into new ones, right? Because they have new mechanisms in place, new neural pathways that are physically there that make it so that they are silencing themselves and recreating the pattern, recreating the toxicity throughout their lives. And that's what I was doing. I was just recreating it over and over again and silencing myself all the time. And I mean, it would come out in all kinds of different ways. I mean, my relationship with food, even, you know, I would be silencing the inner voice that says I'm full, right? <laughs> Let's just keep eating. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah. comes out, you know, in all kinds of other ways. And as I've developed this business, it's been like, I've got to use my voice. I have to put myself out there. I have a podcast where I actually use my voice. I show up on Instagram and Facebook and I create posts where I'm talking about hard things. And it's just been so freeing. And I have really been able to tap into creativity and insight and, and go deeper into this particular niche so that I can help people. And it's just been the best thing ever to to, to stop silencing myself, you know, and the silencing comes from fear. It comes from anxiety. It comes from like that childhood, uh, pattern or, um, habit, right. Of do what you gotta do to stay safe, do what you gotta do and make sure everybody around you is happy. Right. And it's like, when you're an entrepreneur, you can't function like that. You will not be successful. You have to be able to piss some people off. <laughs> Sorry, if that's not appropriate. You have to be able to allow people to be angry in response to what you say, because you don't make other people angry. That's mm -hmm. that's not real. Um, <laughs> and take those big risks because people need you. They need your voice. They need your experience. They need what you've been through. And if you silence yourself, then they're not able to benefit from the specific ways that they need help. And when I really learned that, that was just that just blew everything open for me. And I was able to, I mean, every time, sometimes I still get a little scared. Sometimes I still want to be like, Oh, I can't say that. Oh no. Can't say that. But then it's like, Nope. If, if I'm thinking I can't say that, that's the thing I absolutely need to say. <laughs> that's uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage mm -hmm. to like speak up. Yeah. I always say, you know, cause how I, this is like, like when we go into like my like lane, which is this speaking up and not being silenced and finding your voice and just the intricacies of that. And you hit the nail on the head. So much of it is like that wanted to feel safe. Was it that you're safe? And sometimes it's safe from judgment. Like there's right. so many different layers of it. But when you get into the dynamics of, um, well, I really shouldn't say this or can't say this and all of that. Like usually there's so much in there that needs to actually be spoken. Mm -hmm. And I always caution people, Two, on that note, is sometimes the message needs to be said, but sometimes the way that it's in our mind to say it is not the right way to say it. Sure. And a lot of people don't like to hear that, right? Right. right. Because that goes to the difference between when you're speaking up because you just want to be heard, mm -hmm. you want people to know this is my point of view, as opposed to when you're saying it because you actually feel like is something critical that needs to be said, you know? Absolutely. And I think people can sometimes experience the backlash 
for themselves, right? It doesn't have to be anyone else when we're doing it because we want to make sure we're trying to prove a point with what we're trying to say. Yeah. So I always tell people like there are ways to say what you say. Yeah. That's not censoring, but that's actually accomplishing what it is that you're trying to make happen, you know? Right. Because I see people like, I'm just going to say it. I don't care what anybody thinks. And then when you hear crickets and you wonder why <laughs> nobody responded. Right. Well, actually, apparently you should have cared a little bit about what the people who you're trying to get to yes. will think about it, right? And that's a, that's the difference. But so much of it has to do with safety. And a lot of people who struggle with the idea of being silenced have a lot of them were raised to, to people, please. Mm-hmm. Or to prioritize others' needs before themselves. Yep. Right. So many, so many like layers, but it it all like intertwines. Yes. You know what I mean, right? It is so many of the dynamics between your work and my work and so many other. Mm-hmm. Like it's that element of safety, and sometimes we're being manipulated by other people. Like yes. a lot of things growing up that I thought I couldn't say, but I realized I was being manipulated. Or other people were projecting their fears, yes. their fear of not feeling comfortable speaking up onto me. And like, you don't realize with those things embedding your subconscious. Right. And then they're with you like all the way through adulthood. Yep. You're not addressing it because you don't realize it, you know? Yes. Uh, and like you said, when it comes to being in business, the opportunity it gives you to actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. Like having a business, well, when you're doing it in the way that's probably best, it gives you a chance to actually contribute to a solution to the problem that you may not otherwise be able to without going through the academic ranks, right? Right. And getting published and all of that, you know? So it's a way to share your frameworks and your thoughts and all of that, right? Because when you look at the literature, you're like, okay, this stuff is good, but it's a little outdated, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's other things, like there's elements that I don't see mentioned here that are critical, like to the thing, but having a business and it gives you an opportunity to do that, you know what I mean? In your own way, you know? And so I love that you mentioned part of that freeing yourself to not be silent had to do with going into entrepreneurship, you know, as a way of, getting up from up out of that. And of course it's a lifelong journey. There are Absolutely. always people come up against where you're like, oh, I don't know if I should like it, right. it's gonna happen, right? Like it's, it's human beings, you know? We're human. And like yes. I did an interview, a podcast interview on someone else's podcast on Wednesdays we were blazers. And I talked about I think that that happens a lot because sometimes there's levels of appropriateness. Yeah. Some things are not appropriate to say depending on the environment that you're in. It has nothing to do with people actually trying to silence you. And I think sometimes we misconstrue and misunderstand that dynamic, you know, but it's so important that people learn to trust themselves in their process and to watch out for signs of manipulation. Amen. So that brings me to the question I was going to ask you previously. For if someone is actually in a narcissistic, abusive relationship, right? And they're starting to recognize it. They're starting to see it. And they're really wanting to find their voice to get out of it. What general advice might you have for them? Okay, so this is really tricky because if you're in a narcissist relationship, if it is abusive, get out as fast as possible. Find resources, call the hotlines, you know, get yourself out of that situation, get yourself safe. If you're not being 
actively abused physically, sexually, all those things. But you know, some ain't quite right, you know, with this relationship, you're in this dynamic, it's really uncomfortable. There's a lot of manipulation going on, maybe some gaslighting, maybe it's like a work relationship, or maybe it's like a, a frenemy situation, you know, or maybe it's with your parents or something like that. This is what I suggest you do. If you do the inner work to heal first, your outside world changes a lot easier. So your inner world, this looks like learning how to take responsibility for your own emotions. Because what's happened is with a narcissist, they, they want that to be switched. They want you to feel responsible for them, but they also want to feel responsible for you too. Sometimes that, that dynamic goes both ways. And so you're kind of locked in this codependent relationship and you break it by taking full responsibility for your own emotions. If you catch yourself saying things like, like, like he made me mad and she made me feel this way, then there's a clue that you're not taking responsibility for your own emotions. Say, okay, I feel sad. I feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty? And that's, that's the work I do. A lot of my clients is understanding that emotion doesn't come from other people. It actually comes from you. It comes from your thoughts. You interpret other people's behavior and have thoughts about that behavior. And that creates the emotion in your body. And if you take responsibility for that, you have taken away all the power that the narcissist has over you. So that's number one, take responsibility for yourself. Number two, learn how to set boundaries. Narcissists don't like boundaries. They think boundaries equal, you don't love them right? They think boundaries equal rejection. That's not true. Boundaries is actually the most loving thing you can do for a person because you're telling them the truth about who you are. You're saying, this is what I will tolerate and this is what I won't tolerate. And they in turn have the opportunity to accept you for who you really are, right? Or not. But if you lie to them and people please them, because right? people pleasing is lying, <laughs> then you are in an unhealthy dynamic. And the way to get out of that is to say, okay, this is what I really want. This is who I really am. And you set boundaries. Okay. And then the third piece is learning how to love yourself unconditionally. Narcissists rely on you not loving yourself unconditionally because they give you love when you do what they want. And so if you are in need of that love, they take advantage of that and that serves them. And then that keeps you in the dynamic. But when you are like, I'm good enough as I am all the time, I don't need them to act, say, or do a certain thing to make me feel worthy, then that also takes away their power. And narcissists don't know, they don't understand unconditional self-love or unconditional love of other people. They don't understand it. It's not possible for them. So you trying to earn love will keep you in a forever dynamic because it'll never be good enough. It'll never get there. And they rely on that and they love that. So love yourself unconditionally. Learn how to manage your mind. This is the coaching process where I take my clients through. We work on those thoughts that create emotion and learn how to create your results with thoughts. And then finally, through all of this, we build emotional resilience where people can say things and do things. And then you either aren't nearly as affected by it as you were, or you bounce back way quicker than what you're used to. And you start to recognize kind of like what you were saying, you start to recognize the signs everywhere. And then you mm -hmm. can stop yourself and prevent yourself from entering into more relationships like this. And then your environment changes kind of on its own. Like you really don't have to force it. And so all of that inner work, like come back into your own self. And I promise you, if you do that work, you, you will be protected and safe from all of the narcissists around you because they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they are yeah. everywhere and they are constantly looking for their next victim. And I say that, you know, 
with a grain of salt because they don't realize what they're doing. I think, at least I don't think they do. Some, some might, some might be pretty pathological in that way, but they work with people who will tolerate them. So if you don't tolerate them, then they move on to the next person. And if they don't tolerate, they keep moving on until they find someone who does. So it, it feels really, especially when you're in that dynamic, you know, they love to make it personal and you feel like you're rejecting them and you're not loving them and you're not being who you want to be. When in reality, it's not personal. You're just the next person that tolerated them and they're going to move on to the next person who does when you do the inner work to heal. So that's, yeah, those are my five steps to heal from narcissist abuse. <laughs> that's good. You know, and like I said, I really hope that our listeners who are experiencing this dynamic or even recognizing times when they have that will keep these in mind, right, to be mindful of. Because one of the things that I know for myself, getting out of that narcissistic relationship and being on the outside is it reinforced to me how is how significant healthy relationships are to me. Yes. Like growing up, I prioritized healthy relationships as best I could, mm-hmm. right? I didn't realize I was the unhealthy person in the relationship because I overgave. Mm-hmm. I always overextended myself yes. at the cost of myself, right? If that mm-hmm. makes sense. You know? mm-hmm. That's a huge clue. Huge clue mm-hmm. when you're overgiving mm-hmm. you know, and you're drained. You overgive. And especially, like I said, and I always knew that for me because my husband always laughs because he's like, are you doing it with a joyful heart? Because I always say like, now as an adult, if I'm not doing it with a joyful heart, I know that I'm not doing it for myself. So I good. know I'm extending myself for someone else. Like it's when like you want to do it for because you want to do it. But when it becomes obligatory, yes. you know that you're extending yourself. Like you're kind of doing it now because you feel like you have to, yep. you know, mm-hmm. but I prioritized and I remembered the importance of healthy relationships. And that has kept me hyper vigilant when I'm in relationships with anyone, like point blank period, you know? And so, so good. I, I would encourage people to also remember the importance of healthy relationships and that we all deserve to be in them yes, because there are a lot of people do. who will not manipulate us, who will yes. genuinely, the dynamic will be healthy and reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to put that it will not be a one-way street relationship. Yes. Like I mentioned, this can happen in friendship dynamics too. It's yep. not, it is not reliant solely on intimate partners right. or anything. It can happen in any dynamic. Yes. Friendships, coworkers, Lord. bosses. It's everywhere. <laughs> Laura, where if people, if any of our listeners are wanting to know a little bit more about your work, Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about who do you work with? I know you mentioned the kind of the work you do, but who is like your ideal kind of client? Yes. My clients are people who are kind of the, the victims of the narcissist, right? I, I would love to work with narcissists. That would be amazing. I would, that would be solving a bunch of problems. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't seek help, generally speaking. So and they're not really coachable most of the time. Sometimes they are, but so I work with people affected by narcissists. So people who are in the dynamic, people who are trying to get out, people who are out, but are feeling really lost and hurt and just need to heal from all of the, the pain that they're in. Uh, people who find themselves in repeating patterns over and over again, people who don't know how to set boundaries, who aren't confident in themselves, um, who feel like they don't have a sense of self, that they've lost their sense of self, people who are struggling with all kinds of relationships in their lives, 
people who want to create healthy relationships. I work with a lot of women entrepreneurs who are trying to grow businesses who have been affected by narcissism. That's a thing. <laughs> There's a lot of specific things we got to do to help them really um, reach their goals and earn the money they want to earn. These are women who just struggle with knowing what they want. I, I specialize in, in really helping them cultivate who they truly are, learning how to love themselves for exactly who they are, and then creating any result that they want in their life. If they want more money, if they want a healthy marriage, you know, if they want, I don't know, to grow a business or to be, you know, the, the leader at their job, whatever it is they want. They, a lot of women who have uh, suffered from narcissist abuse are, are small. They, they stay small to, to stay safe. And, but these women are also really ambitious at the same time. And they really want to just blow it out of the water, but for some reason they just can't, they don't understand why those are my people. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'm not even going to go there okay. because absolutely, like we could talk. I could talk about this for hours. Hours, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so Laura. Okay, so awesome. So, where can people find you? And for those of you listening who can't write it down, when you click on the webpage episode for Laura's episode, her bio and all of her links will be there as well. But for those of you who are listening, who can go ahead and follow her. Where can they follow you and find you online, Laura? There's uh, a lot of places. So the main one, my favorite place to be is Instagram. So just Laura, L-E-U-R-A, by the way, B-Y-T-H-E-W-A-Y coaching. Um, so at Laura, by the way, coaching, and that's where I'm on Instagram and you can get everywhere I'm at is on my Instagram page. If you prefer Facebook, uh, I have a Facebook group specifically designed for women raised by narcissists. So you just go to facebook.com slash group slash women raised by narcissists. You'll find me there. I also have my own podcast. It's called get yourself back and it outlines all of those five steps. We go in depth on that. And then we talk about other topics that are specific to people dealing with narcissist recovery. Where else? I guess technically I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't really, I don't really need that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. But that's, good. Oh, that's so good. That's good. People. Like I said, they can find you. Look, if people want to find people, they can find They'll you. Find right? them. <laughs> the, the breadcrumb trail, like all around, you know. But yeah, so I encourage you all, if this is resonant with you, to reach out, connect with Laura. I think that would be so awesome. Yes, please. Laura, thank you so much for being on my co host yes. for today. <laughs> I think this is going to be so helpful for everyone. And don't forget, y'all, to, if you're listening on the, your podcast player, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and all of the links and stuff so you guys can follow us. And, and don't forget, you can leave a comment and let us know what your thoughts are. If you have any questions, you can send them over to me and I'll get them to Laura. Or you can reach out to her directly on her Instagram and just follow her from there. So I hope you all having a fabulous rest of your week. Ta-ta! Bye! To watch the video episode with today's co-host, visit KeishaShields.com slash podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified of our next episode because you won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to this episode of She Will Not Be Silenced with Keisha Shields. If you are an executive or highly driven leader ready to amplify your wealth, legacy, and your voice on your terms and overcome the impact of feeling silenced, visit KeishaShields.com slash 
hire to work with me one-to-one or to find more information on how to bring me into your company or organization to help support your women leaders.